Dear God, let this work. Good morning, Baker. Can you hear me? <laughs> I can. Hi, Rick. How are you? Yes, Chris Galis. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. I'm glad to have you in the Chorus family, too, my friend. You've done well since grad 1995. Wow, you've done really well since grad 1990. When was your grad year, Chris? 85. Wow. Take us yeah. back. Like what? Well, first off, you just came well, off of your newscast. Like, did you have to have time to like wind down, or what happens after your? You newscast? know what? It is. It is a kind of a period of wind down. I I come in. I have a little change room that I inherited from uh, Tony Parsons, the news no. BC News icon, legend that I I replaced a few years ago. <laughs> just, just a few and years so ago. Nice. How long you been? Yeah. There? Yeah. But it's a it's a good little it's a good little spot where I can I keep my suits, I keep my ties, I keep my shirts, and I can uh, come back here to you know make phone calls and every now and again, uh, my coworkers appreciate it because I tend to have a bit of a booming voice. I don't know if you know that, Rick. Of course, uh, I love it. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and so people are like, "Can't you go somewhere to make that phone call?" So. <laughs> It's nice to be able to do that back here. But, yeah, I can't. I mean, I know what you're probably thinking right now, and so are your classmates. Oh, my God, I can't believe how quickly 25 years went by. Jeez. And I am thinking, I can't believe how fast 35 years went by because it is so, it's gone by in the blink of an eye. And I still, in many ways, feel like I, I just left high school and college and, and that I feel young enough at heart that those days don't seem so far behind me. But in reality, of course, they are. Man, Chris, I remember, like, I went to Mount Royal College because I flunked out of UC. <laughs> and Yeah, well, at least you got into UFC. <laughs> but then I wanted to get into the broadcasting uh, because I had just picked up some courses. But I wanted to get into that broadcasting field. And I'd see your card, I think, like, there was this wall of fame at Mount Royal. And I'd walk by yeah. every time and I'd see your name because I knew that you spoke to our class. Wow. And because I think you were in Dallas at the time, or I think you might have left I was, Dallas. Right? Yeah, yeah. It, it would have been. Yeah, because it was for you graduated in 95. But then I did a a sort of a what was it, your 10 year reunion or something yeah, like it that? Was, right? uh, yeah, it was 20. It was your 20 year reunion. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, yeah. Time time is going by fast. And you're right. Yeah, it would have been uh, it would have been either Dallas or New York. Now I can't remember. But what a what a trip it was leaving, you know, leaving Calgary, the place that I had grown up and gone to school and uh, and going down to the United States. Dallas was a pretty good entree into the U.S. market, considering it's a lot like Calgary, Alberta. Except uh, I had to minimize some of the Canadianisms that we are so well known for down there to try to assimilate a little bit. When you're hosting a when you're hosting a show called Good Morning Texas, people don't want to think they're in uh, you know they're in the suburbs of a Canadian city. So I I adopted the uh, Texan patois there as quickly as I could. Wow, how, how what was that like to because you were at CTV or CFCN for how long? Well, I was at CFCN for, I think, the first, it was three years in Lethbridge CFCN, then six years at CFCN Calgary. And then I left CFCN Calgary to join the station that would eventually end up being Global Calgary. At that time, it was Calgary 7, as a lot of 
your classmates might remember. Yeah, two and seven. Um, and I left to go to Dallas right as the ownership change was happening. So uh, at that time, um, Wick was coming in and buying up all the uh, buying up all the the stations, and and they took over Global Calgary, and it became Global Calgary. By that time, I'd already gone to Dallas, but uh, now when we returned to Canada in 2006, um, you know, I had a, I had a great offer to come out here. My wife's from, from Richmond. Yeah. My family had since emigrated, yeah. uh, immigrated to BC from Alberta. And, uh, <laughs> and so everybody that I knew uh, with the exception of a brother living in Montana had moved out here. And this seemed like the great, a great place to settle. You said that you had a stint in New York. Is it, was there a little yeah, New, there? New York City, yeah, 2003 to 2006. Oh I was the host God. of uh, Good Day in New York. Wow. Along with, Lu- yeah, Lucy Nolan. It was so fun. It was it was fun. Lucy Nolan and Jody Applegate were my co-anchors there. And uh, I worked with an amazing cast of characters, Jim Ryan, David Price, who's still the chief meteorologist um, behind Al Roker at, at uh, WNBC in New York. Oh, my God. And uh, still in contact with these guys on on a quasi-regular basis, too. It was a real formative, interesting time in my career. And uh, it's good to to maintain those friendships always, right? Were you just beside yourself being in, like, the biggest market in the world? I was, and I I often joke that I had to work in the biggest market in the world to qualify myself for a job at this station here in BC because everybody in Canada wanted to work out here there's there's lots of reasons why toronto is a draw for top canadian journalists too but uh man there was a long list of people that want to work in vancouver very difficult to break in from anywhere you know certainly for my job in alberta but going to dallas and new york and having that experience and working in the pressure cooker of the new york television market really i think prepared me for success here and really really it's true they say if you can make it in new york you can make it uh anywhere and i felt it just gave me the confidence to take on the the prime role here at this station knowing that the role to take over for tony was so important and there was a ton of pressure uh, to maintain the high, high ratings and number one position in the market that this station has had for decades, yeah. not just years. So I was thankful for that. Did you think that was like the uh, most stressful time is to get that job in Vancouver it, when compared it, to? Yeah, I would I would say it was more stressful in the pressure cooker of New York. Um, just the, you know, the the pressure to perform the expectations of success, the number of people lining up to take your job, you know, it, it really is a, a pressure cooker. And it's why it does prepare people for success anywhere else if they choose to leave New York. And I was lucky that I, it was my choice to leave. I had a good offer to stay at the station. I didn't think it was a great offer at the time, but, you know, <laughs> it was it was a you know, a good offer. It was a raise and, and the numbers in the contract back in those days were more than I ever imagined I would make. Uh, So it was a good move in many ways that set me up for financial success long-term and gave us a bit of a cushion coming back to 
uh, life in Canada in the most expensive residential housing market outside of Toronto and arguably the most uh, difficult residential housing market to get into uh, in Canada. But so. you have like buckets of American money? You know, <laughs> well, here's the interesting thing, and this was all part of the learning curve down there. First of all, I had an agent back then, Ooh. and that is generally a requirement for young Canadian broadcasters who are trying to break into the market. You send your tape out, you hope you get an American-based agent, and they shop you around to different stations. And I was very lucky that when I was doing that in 1998 and 1999, wow. that, the, uh, that I had very good success and got some good looks in some top 10 markets. I, I had sat, said at the outset that I didn't want to move down there if it wasn't for a top 10 market. I wanted it to be in a major U.S. market, and so did my wife Jane at the time. So, so that's what we did, and I interviewed in... Washington, D.C. first. I interviewed in Detroit. And Dallas was the last of the stations that I interviewed at. And and I had a you know, great deal of interest from both of those other stations that secured a good deal for me in Dallas, too. But you've got to get an agent. And so I did. And, and, and 10% of my gross wage went to the agent. So just take 10% off the top right now. Wow. That's pre-tax. And and uh, without giving too much away, that was getting close to $40,000 a year just going to the agent. Just going for wow. Then, then you have federal, state, and in Manhattan, if you choose to live in Manhattan, which we thought, we're not moving to New York City to live in Connecticut. <laughs> Let's live in Manhattan. There was a municipal income tax as well. So by the time it was all said and done, I was actually in a higher tax bracket living in Manhattan than I was in the tax bracket I left in Calgary. And certainly the one I left in Texas, which had no state income tax. And um, even though I paid the agent at that time, 10%, you know, there was no state income tax. Living was cheap and easy in, in Texas. And it was a great experience. And and, you know, it was I had a great, you know, studio crew there that helped me through in, in Dallas, that being my first market, too. Like, you know, they would say, you, you, you say sorry funny, <laughs> you know, <laughs> where it's, it's sorry down there. And tomorrow and work has two syllables, Fo-erk. you know, that's what they would say to me. And, and it uh, was entertaining and, and fun and helped me really get used to minimizing the things that are the red flags to Americans saying he's Canadian, which isn't, it's, don't get me wrong. It's not a terrible thing, Mm. but assimilation has always been important in the United States. Wow. And there was no cachet for me being embraced by a Texas television audience by talking about my Canadian is my Canadianism, Right. That's just so so I, I I minimized that and and probably talked about it at dinner parties, but minimized it uh, on the air. And it was to my advantage to do so. Now, when you crossed the border back to Canada and you got to Vancouver, did you have to get rid of the Americanism stuff? That you- yeah, part of it. Some of the some of the feedback right off the bat was, why couldn't you find a Canadian to do the news? You know, like. <laughs> 
most people were very friendly and they, you know, if they paid any attention, they knew that I was a Canadian coming home and my wife was from Richmond and my mom and dad lived in Sorrento, BC, which is, you know, near Salmon Arm. And, you know, I had major family connections to BC and knew the province very well. But there were things in my speech pattern that made people think that I was American. So, yes, I had to I had to limit those once again. And I think if you talk to any of my American friends, they will tell you I've lost it. Although I do say against uh, differently than a lot of Canadians who really hit the against in uh, in Canada. And that, that is strange to the ear of Americans. So who is a tougher audience, the Americans or the Canadians? Or are they just- well, I think Canadians are much more discerning, news-savvy, um, and not to take anything away from from Americans, but you know the television I was doing in the U.S. too was morning TV, you know, very much sort of lifestyle entertainment kind of stuff. And and to to come back and you know be in one of the top news markets, if not arguably politically at least, one of the weirdest news markets because BC politics there's never a dull moment yeah. out here. Um, is it's challenging, right? People will call you if you don't know your stuff. And, uh, and so it's, it's a very interesting market with so many fascinating things to cover. You know, culturally, uh, the ties to Asia and the influence that has on so many things here. Transportation issues as growth. You know, we try to manage growth out here. Obviously, the environment. Energy, green energy, and and traditional fossil fuel energy issues are all very contentious, and people take an active role in advocating for for those things. So it's really an interesting and and cool news market to be a part of. Chris, it must be tough because do you write your own scripts? That's all I've always wondered. That or I I'm I'm one of three writers, four writers that write on the show. Yeah. Um, and and final editorial control is on myself and Sophie, my co-anchor now, okay. um, to to make sure that what comes out of our mouths is the way that we would say it. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there are some times where where you have to trust that the producer who is who has researched and written a piece uh, has done their due diligence if it's a late breaking story and it's something that we're just being handed very often we'll ad libid and, and with the very bare bones amount of information, be able to provide some coverage that's beneficial to our viewers. But sometimes, yes, there are things that are written that we don't have a chance to get eyes on before we have to report them. Very rare occasions though. I, I have hands on all of the, the scripts and, do my own tweaks, rewrites, and uh, and copy editing all day long. Wow. So, yeah, what time do you get in usually? Like, what's... We, have, we have an editorial meeting at 11 a.m. in the morning. Oh. So so I get in at 11 a.m. We talk about the, sh- you know, the stories as we see them unfolding during the day. It never works out that way by <laughs> 6 o'clock. But, uh, yeah, and then we work. It just is a kind of a work in progress. I have other responsibilities through the day, too. I have. A, a radio hit every day with Linda Steele. We call it the Daily Debrief, where we go over some of the top stories and 
and talk a little bit about how we're going to cover them on the news hour, trying to find elements that are more visual so that it leads a radio audience to be curious about some of the visual aspects of what we're covering and want to tune in at six. And that takes some preparation and, and writing to be prepared for that. There are radio promos and other promos that are pre-produced that I go into a, I used to go into an audio booth. Now I just track them on my iPhone and send them remotely to our audio guy, which must interest you in the role that you're doing uh, now for chorus as well. It's, we've all had to make some adjustments, right? Oh, unbelievable. Um, before I forget, I want to touch on um, your lovely wife. How long have you been married to Jane? Her? Oh, man, it was 1998, so 22 years. This is the most famous Jane Kerrigan, for those who are listening. Like yeah, they were watching TV and all that. And you guys met in Calgary. Like, was it love at first? Yeah, time? we did. We were very lucky. She she uh, got a job uh, there about a month before I did. I was working in Lethbridge at the time. And funny enough, my college girlfriend had met Jane along the way because they both got jobs out of college in Saskatchewan. So they met. <laughs> and Joni, who was my girlfriend, said, oh, I, my girlfriend just got a job in Calgary. You'll see her doing the noon show coming up. Yeah. pretty soon so okay i'll watch for her because that part of my responsibilities back then in lethbridge was <laughs> to actually record the calgary noon show and it was so low tech back then we'd scalp video off of that newscast to run on our newscast because we only had a two-minute microwave window to send stuff back and forth we just record the channel wow. so i saw her one day and i was like oh yeah i, I remember hearing about chain yeah. And then when I got my job a month later, I saw her in the newsroom and said, hey, we have a mutual friend. And we started chatting. And it was about two months later that they put us together oh, yes. as the two newsroom newbies <laughs> put us together as the weekend uh, news team. So uh, so we got paired up doing the weekend news and reported during the week. And, and it just went off like gangbusters. And then the ratings went way up and we started – uh, you know, really expanding the coverage on the weekends and, and the rest is history because we fell in love and yeah. and got married. Wow. And then she's basically, what is she doing now? Like, you know, she, we had a son and nice. since Will has been in school, um, he's going into grade four this year. She's been very involved in, in his life yeah. and in the life of the school, volunteering. And that's taking on a whole new meaning this year. And she's really you know, trying to figure out what contributions she can make to the school with the COVID protocol. Yeah. Um, they are still going to need coordinators for different events and things of that nature. So she's always been involved and uh, she works on a few, you know, every now and again, there's a freelance gig that comes around. Yeah. Um, she's great at communications and oh. public relations. So keeps her hand in it and stays busy for Amazing sure. Amazing talent, by the way. I, I don't know. Yeah, how, thank yeah. you. I always, I always laugh on the I'm the second best broadcaster in my own home. <laughs> well, I don't know. What about your son? So, yeah, well, maybe third. Maybe I'm third now because he's got some talent too. Is he wanting to get into the field of broadcasting you know, or no? He, it's funny because he has actually done a couple of things. I'm on the board of the CKNW Kids Fund here, which is a, um, a children's charity that caters to kids with developmental delays and and needs related to therapy speech therapy that kind of thing 
And when we needed a children's voice for a promo that we were putting together, I pitched Will as as a as a potential, and he auditioned for it, and he got it, and uh, it was it was really cool. So yes, there is an aptitude there for sure. But as you know, he's now a little bit older, and he got a little bit shy about things like that. So um, I still encourage it whenever whenever I can. Uh, but he's taking a break from doing anything like that at the moment. He's still young, though. Oh, my God. He's got oh, this whole oh, yeah, exactly. And he's very expressive. I think yeah. that's what I love about him. Like, in a, you know, when you do a read, as you know, mm. you know, you, it takes a, a certain talent to bring to life to a script and make it sound natural and to, you know, really make it come alive. And he has that. Like I hear him read at, you know, at school, and he's read in front of the church sometimes. And I'm like, man, this kid gets it. <laughs> the, the emotion of it, hitting the right, you know, what you're supposed to emphasize, how you make the feeling pop off the page. And he's got a real talent for it. So I hope it is something that he gets into for sure. Do you think he's going to be a pastor at this point? I don't know. I don't know about that. I don't know, maybe. Oh, that's Anything's funny. possible when you look at a nine-year-old, I guess. Exactly. All right, so Diefenbaker, were you wanting yeah. to get into television? Was that your goal when you were walking around? You know, it's funny. No, it never was. But but when I reflect back on the on the things that I was interested in, writing, writing, uh, reading and performing which never bothered me not that i was i wasn't a drama club guy Mm. but anytime we needed to do anything in any of our other classes that involved a a kind of um performance or if if i needed to make a presentation in front of the class it never i was never nervous about that and i think when i look back there were aptitudes that i had in Diefenbaker that that sort of explain how I ended up doing what I was doing, even if it wasn't an ambition to be a television news anchor. Uh, I kind of my interest just kind of led me here. But I think it's good that I it wasn't something that I was desperate for. I didn't want to be on television. I didn't want to be a news anchor. When I went to Mount Royal College, I thought I was going to be a cameraman. I wanted to wear jeans and a T-shirt to work every day and be the cowboy with the camera, you know. And it and then and then it became pretty clear, my that wasn't where my aptitudes lie. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying I was great doing everything else. I was really bad at being a cameraman, an audio guy. I I was disorganized and I didn't have an eye for framing and taking care of those technical things. But I could write. And I wasn't nervous being in front of the camera, and it was a, it was a wonderful, um, uh, you know, I guess teachable moment from from Bert Leinberg, one of my college instructors, who pulled me aside one day and in Wickham House at at uh, Mount Royal, and he said, "Look, I'm not going to tell you you can't be a cameraman, but you would be missing a massive opportunity for a long." And, and likely lucrative career 
if you zigged instead of zagged here. And so that's what I did. I wow. took his advice and I thought, you know what? I'm curious enough about the world. I enjoy storytelling. Uh, I enjoy writing. I can give up on the dream of being a cameraman and put my energy into this other thing that's worked out very, very well for me. So did you find it less pressure then to not be so focused about, I want to be on air, I want to be a newscaster and all that? For sure. For sure. And I I think because I wasn't desperate for it and like a lot of these opportunities were were presented to me, you know, I, I, I get the value of having a five-year plan and a 10-year plan and to set ambitious goals. But I was all about back then living in the moment. And I didn't really do that. It just, I was presented with opportunities through my life and career. And if they interested me, I took them. And that's what got me all the way to New York City. So, you know, it, it, it worked out for me, and I think there's value sometimes in doing that. It's not going to work for everybody, and, and that's you know one of the reasons my message when I speak to grad classes like yours is to, look, don't be surprised uh, if what you think you want to do right now is not what you want to do five years from now, or don't be freaked out if you don't know exactly what it is you want to do at this moment of graduation, mm-hmm. because that you've got to leave room in your life for an evolution and growth and change and not to be pigeonholed into one thing. Does that apply 25 years later or 35 years later? Yeah, I think it still, I think it still does. I mean, I'm constantly still learning. I've made choices and jobs that I have never regretted. And even the bad ones have led to something better. Huh. And, uh, you know, I, I, I've always just tried to, to stay true to that um, throughout my life. Wow. What has this pandemic taught you, Chris, during this time? Well, I think the value of, of quality time with, with close friends and family. Yeah. You know, when you can decompress a little bit and the pressures of, of the... Uh, of the job beyond the day-to-day news hour, right? The preparation and writing for a news program and, the, and now the pressure that we're under in the media business to get it right and to be objective and to try to uncover what is more and more an obscured truth by the people who want to project their own version of things. It's It's more and more imperative that once you're off the clock, you decompress. And it's given me time to do that over COVID and really allowed me to uh, reconnect with people I deeply care about in, in ways that, you know, I would be pulled pulled away for events and different, um, you know, appearances, uh, moderating panels. And you know, all of that is important in the role that I'm in. But I'm looking at COVID-19 as a major break from that because we aren't doing those things as often. And now they're starting to take a different form in, mm-hmm. in the form of sort of virtual conferences and things of that nature that are less time consuming and, and, uh, and allow me to spend more quality time with family.
Yeah. Would it be the one of the biggest stories that you've had to report, or like what? Oh, without a doubt. No, well, yeah, really, number one. It, yeah. Yeah, well, number one for sure. Just the the wide ranging impact and implications of COVID nineteen on every facet of our lives, and we've only scratched the surface. Yeah. I am under no illusions that the very worst of this is behind us already we as a as a world community need to understand that this is going to be with us for years not months wow. by the time everybody is by the time a vaccine is developed and everybody is inoculated it it isn't going away in a, in a long time and and we need to be aware of that so i think the issues that you're seeing in employment the issues that you will continue to see in in the United States related to infection, um, misinformation, disinformation, and uh, and trying to get the correct message out in a way that people believe and accept about a vaccine is going to be very, very uh, important and very difficult because never before have those kinds of forces of disinformation been more disruptive than they are right now with all kinds of misinformation and disinformation traded on online and social media. It's a, it's a really, it's a really important time to be in media uh, and making sure that we get the facts right. Is it tough to uh, keep your opinion to yourself when you're on television? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, of of course it is. Of course it is. Um, And, and it's, you know, it's, it's probably one of the hardest things when the stakes are getting so high. Yeah. Right. And when, but as Peter Jennings, the great Peter Jennings, Amazing. if I might add that yeah. uh, one said, sometimes there is only one right answer, huh. right? There is only one right side of things. And if you, you know, either you trust science and the people who are doing the, the work that we all understand to be effective and to give us the best data on something. If that's who you're going to believe, great. If you are going to troll the internet for, uh, you know, unchecked sources of information, well, my opinion is we got to call you out on that. Right. And, and if, if, you know, my opinion is that liars are bad and people who, you know, do the research and understand the science and are trying to find a, a correct version of the truth are doing their work. That's good. I'm going to state that opinion all day long, mm-hmm. you know, and now more than ever, I think we got to call, call bullshit when we see it because yeah. a lot of people's BS meters are broken these days. Wow. wow. So true. It was a simpler time back then than Diefenbaker when we were, <laughs> but now everybody has. Oh man! When we were, you know what? You you guys were lucky too because you had the McDonald's right next door when you were going to school there, and I know <laughs> what did you have? That wasn't open. That wasn't open by the time I graduated. But but yeah, you're you're right. I mean, we we all reflect on those times as as the good old days, and then you get older and. You take on more responsibility, and and those are such fond memories of 
of Deethan Baker and the people I went to school with, and I am still my closest friends are the guys that I went to high school with at Deep. So, really? Um, yeah, is... I'm still there's half a dozen to ten of us that are still in regular contact, and and um, you know, core group of guys. There was half a dozen of us went golfing in Radium just a few weeks ago. Oh, so beautiful. It was great to hook up with them again and and have a good time. Take us back to that picture that I sent you. What was that? <laughs> that was <laughs> sorry to say it like that because I haven't seen that for a long time. That was the, if I'm not mistaken, that picture was from the Calgary Herald High School Sports Hall of Fame, and I was nominated for basketball. So the Herald <laughs> back then, when we all got newspapers delivered, I was a newspaper delivery boy at me one time. Too, me too, we all, Chris. <laughs> we all got the Herald delivered. Yeah. That was a full page spread in the sports section with pages of the. Hall of Fame teams in each year. And in 1985, as the starting center for the Diefenbaker Chiefs, nice. I was uh, I was nominated to the high, Calgary Herald High School Sports Hall of Fame. And where is the this Hall of Fame? Ac- the highest accomplishment of my sports career to date, Rick. I will tell you that right now. Uh, it's a good memory, though, and it was fun to see that photo. Are you still playing basketball, or are you still... You know, it's funny. We were still playing on Tuesday nights here. It wasn't a it wasn't a formal league, but there's a bunch of ex-college and university guys. I did end up going on to play college basketball at, at Mount Royal for a semester and a half before I got into the broadcasting uh, program there. So I've made some good contacts there. Some of those guys ended up out here in BC, and some of them are connected to uh, Vancouver College Boys School. Um and they were able to get gym nights on Tuesday. So they called me up when they saw me hit the airwaves here 14 years ago. And we've been playing on either Tuesday or Wednesday nights, pick up basketball for years. But when COVID hit, we, uh, we never got back in the gym since January. It's been a long time since I saw those guys and played ball. And, and who knows when we'll get a chance to get back in there. It's obviously not safe and schools are not open for that right now. So have to wait and see have you always been tall like or were you tall in Diefenbaker and then that's just yeah you know I I grew an inch after high school but I caught up to my brother in uh, grade six Mm -hmm. and I was one of the tallest guys in I can't think of anybody who was as tall as me I was six four and a half in high school and and there were a couple of guys who might have challenged me for tallest guys in the school but (laughs) yeah I I, I was definitely the tall. I see pictures from our grad night, and I'm like head and shoulders above everybody else in the pictures. So I never felt that way, but I guess I was, you know. Did you get your suit from, what, was Zeller's still right beside Stephen Baker? Oh, man. Time? I had to rent that, baby. You did? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I had to rent it. And a top hat, too, to make me even taller. In some a of those top pictures. hat. So that was a, that was a, yeah, I went full on. Oh, Chris. How many suits do you have, by the way, as a newscaster? You know what? I can just turn around and count them up right now. In the in the spring, in the summer rotation, I've got summer rotation. What is it? One uh, in the summer rotation, I've got a dozen. Wow, I got twelve suits, and then I probably have two hundred ties. Two hundred ties. I'm surprised that you're not sponsored. Are companies coming to you? It's like, hey, can you wear this? And- well, that's an interesting point, Rick, because of our demand. For objectivity, I am not allowed to be sponsored for things like that in case, let's use, I don't know, uh, Moore's as an example. Mm -hmm. If I was sponsored by Moore's Suits and then there was some news story that Moore's was 
I don't know, yeah. you know, doing something bad. We don't want there to be the, the, uh, the perception that because I'm sponsored by Moors, I'm not going to give uh, an unbiased and objective viewpoint of what's going on with the company. Uh, so um, I have a, I, I'm one of a number of guys who rely on Maxwell clothiers who come into town every now and again, and I buy my suits from them. Do you have say of what you wear, or is it just, no, we want you to wear this, this, this? Like Yeah, it's in my contract that I have to look. I have to look respectable, but but that's open to interpretation. Not everybody likes my tie now and again, but uh, I, I'm pretty conservative in in what I wear. I don't, you know, I don't go for bold patterns or crazy, too, anything too crazy, or you know, it's it shouldn't be as much about me as it is about the news content. So I try to keep it on the down low a little bit, but still, I find a way to spend money on twelve suits for the spring summer season but you must be going like there must be a time where you go through your tape i don't know you find your tape from southern alberta and oh, yeah. in the 90s what were you wearing was it like the boys to men oh it was the massive dude suit hey, the <laughs> big like remember the 90s like all you had to do was watch the michael jordan documentary and you see what the 1990s fashions were like <laughs> and i and i had a version of that on the air and it was like double-breasted suits wide lapels big baggy pants like I couldn't imagine wearing stuff like that now, but you know darn well that's coming around eventually. Oh yeah, and since you love sports, who's your sports teams, by the way? Like, who are you a big fan of? Well, I'm big. I'm cheering on the Canucks, Raptors. Obviously, I got right on the uh, got right on the Raptors bandwagon when I moved back home. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I love the Lions too. A lot of great players. You know, you you oh, get a cool. you get a. Uh, a bit of a rapport with some of them and get to know them a little bit. And there's really good guys. And I feel so bad for the CFL right now having shut down. Um, But I'm, I'm a lions fan now. um, And uh, I cheer where I live and I've done that always, you know, I moved down to Dallas and I cheered for the Cowboys and the stars. And when I moved to New York, I cheered for the giants and, uh, you know, I was more of a Met fan than a Yankees fan, but uh, <laughs> even though I didn't live on Long Island, Mets are mostly Long Island fans, it seems. But, uh, but yeah, I like to cheer where I live because uh, I'm proud of the city where I put down roots. Okay, well, Calgary, take us back. What song brings you back to Diefenbaker? So we're going back here. Oh, man, it's so funny. Like, I think of, I was right into a lot of 80s tunes. So, like, The Cult, mm. She Sells Sanctuary takes me right back there. 1985, like Madonna. My high school girlfriend was a huge Madonna fan. So Holiday, like I would say, if you put Madonna Holiday on the playlist, that's going to take me right back to the year that I graduated.
you were a good student, right? I was an okay student. I, Mike, Mike Smith, the math teacher, will tell you if it wasn't for trigonometry, I wouldn't have passed. But I, for some reason, there was something about trigonometry that really, uh, I just got it. And so with 95% in trigonometry and 49% in everything else, and maybe 51% on the final exam, I passed. But I'm not proud of my math marks at all. Chris, you had 95% in trig? (laughs) Yeah, it was insane. It was insane. There was no equation I couldn't remember or, you know, it. It, uh, it it all made sense to me, and, and I've, I've reconciled my loathing of math in my later years. I understand its importance, and and I've tried to to get over that fear in my later years. But, yeah, I, I tried to be a good student, but, uh, man, I was, I was distracted by too many things. Yeah. I wish the very best to your class, to your group, and I really was honored to get the call to – to send a little message along to you guys Thanks, uh, for your for your 10-year uh, anniversary, too, back in 2005. 20-year, so 20 20-year. 20-year, 20-year, yeah, that's right. What is your advice if you were speaking to our class and you are speaking to our class? What's yeah. your advice if you're at the Jubilee Auditorium or sitting at the Jubilee Auditorium now? What would you say to us? Oh, more than anything, just be kind to people. Hmm. Keep learning and and try to laugh every day, yeah. you know? It, there's so much darkness in the world that if you express kindness, it will improve your outlook and it will improve the lives of the people around you. And it's hard to do on some days when you see what's, what's going on, but, um, you know, just be kind. Try to keep a sense of humor and know that this has all happened before and we will get through it, you know, <laughs> and and just to be optimistic and, and curious about the world. Yeah. Keep true to the dreams of thy youth, Chris, and good night. Yeah, keep true to the dreams of thy youth, yeah. exactly. Those, those were uttered by a very wise man once and repeated by me. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> good night, Deepen Baker. Appreciate this, Chris. Good night, Stephen Baker. Rick, (laughs) thanks so much.